Welcome to Mentioned in Dispatches, the podcast from the Western Front Association. I'm Dr Tom Thorpe. The WFA is the UK's largest Great War History Society. We are dedicated to furthering understanding of the First World War and have over 60 branches worldwide. For more information, visit our website at westernfrontassociation.com. It is the 9th of April and this is episode number 58. In today's programme, I talk to Dr Linda Parker about her new book published by Halion & Co on Geoffrey Studdart Kennedy, who is better known as Woodbine Willie. I spoke to Linda from her home in Oxfordshire. Linda, welcome to the Dispatches podcast. Can you start by telling us a bit about yourself and how you became interested in the Great War? Uh, well, I was a history teacher for much of my career and always enjoyed teaching um, about the Great War. Then I left to further study and to start writing. And um, also, I've been going to the Western Foot Association for about 20 years, so that has um, kept, kept my interest going. And I read quite widely on the First World War. So your latest book is about Geoffrey Studdard is Kennedy. He was also known as Woodbine Willie. Can you tell us why you thought a book was, uh, was needed about Kennedy? Right, well, I've written a few books about Great War Chapel and also to their contribution to post-war society. Um, I'd enjoyed writing my first crack of the biography, which was about Teddy Clayton. And uh, having sort of read a lot about Teddy Kennedy during my researches, I felt there was a lot more to him than his sort of popular Woodbine Willie image. So I decided uh, to try and place him in the context of the war, um, of army chaplaincy in general, and also his achievements in the post-war world, which I was very interested in how chaplains developed their ideas when they came back after the war. Um, I've tried to use previously unused sources, for example, Sir Lambeth Palace, the ICS, the Industrial Christian Fellowship papers, and local newspapers to try and build up a sort of uh, fuller picture of uh, Studdard Kennedy. So, who was Geoffrey Studdard Kennedy? Can you start by giving us some idea of his, uh, his early family, professional and personal life before the war, and what were his early Christian influences that shaped his faith? Okay, well, he was born in 1883, so a very large, robustuous clergy family uh, in a very poor part uh, a parish in Leeds. His father was the vicar of this parish. Um, his father and his mother both came to Ireland. Um, his, his father was married twice, so there were 14 children altogether. Um, he was, oh, and four of his brothers also became clergy, so it's a, a, quite a, a clergy-based household uh, in a very poor part of Leeds, so it's a, that was a very formative uh, part of his early experience of poverty. He was educated partly at Leeds Grammar School and partly at Trinity College Dublin, and then while he made up his mind what he was going to do with his life, he was a school teacher for a while, and then was trained for ordination at Ripon College. He became a curate, first at rugby, again, uh, looking particularly after the, the poor people of the parish and empathising with the very, very down and out the, the, the men in the pubs, the small children on the streets. Um, he started to get a reputation for his preaching, preaching fine sermons, some quite eccentric sermons, um, his care and concern for the very poorest in society. And um, in 1914, after having gone back to being curate in Leeds for a while, he became of the parish of St Paul's in Worcester. Again, a parish that contains many... Um, poor people. So his formative years in his early ministry were, were definitely concerned with the problems of the poor in society and what the church could do about them. Now, just for my ignorance, he was a, a Church of England a vicar, even though he he had, a, he had I think his father was Church of Ireland. As, am I correct in that? Uh, no, he was uh, he, even though his family and his very strong links with Ireland, and he went to Trinity because he was, he, he was born in, in England, in Leeds, and he was a member of the Church of England. So what prompted uh, Studdard 
led Kennedy to enlist as a chaplain in the war. What were his views on the conflicts and, and how did he view the cause in the early days of 1914 and 1915? Uh, well, like many people, he was caught up with the enthusiasm uh, that was prevalent at the beginning of the First World War. Um, he wanted to become an army chaplain, but he didn't, wasn't able to make arrangements for his parish until December 1915. But um, he was, as well as being caught up with the general enthusiasm in the war, he was very aware of the enormous cost that he would have, um, particularly in human terms. And he a little bit about this in the local newspaper, but he decided that he wanted to play his part in the war. And um, he said, I quote him in here, if we refuse to accept the challenge, a greater and more awful disaster would fall upon us. So at this, at this stage, he believed in the justice of the cause. Uh, but of course, his experience is different, made him a very vocal pacifist after the war. So the war did change his ideas. But initially, like many people, who is enthusiastic to go. So what did he do during the war? Well, he spent his first few months um, at a railway siding in Rouen, um, where all the main caps were. And he was ministering to the men being sent up by trains from the railway station up to the front line. And there was a, a famous cafe there, which he used to go to and talk to the men. He'd write letters to them. He'd do a little bit of preaching. Uh, he sang songs to them. And he'd say he's a good singer. He sang some uh, Irish songs to them. And then when the train would leave, he would go with his rucksack, with his giving up Bibles and also giving up cigarettes. And I think that was probably the origin of uh, the Woodbine Willie. You know, they, they knew that he was obviously have some cigarettes on him. Um, after this sort of apprenticeship, um, he joined the South Staffordshire's of the 137th Brigade uh, in the 46th Division, just in time to prepare for the Battle of the Somme. And here he started reading the, the nitty-gritty of, of uh, army chaplain life, and he developed his conviction that the role of the Padre was to be uh, as near up to the troops, up to the front line as possible, to talk to them, to minister them, to do a little service if possible. He spent some time then after that, because he had asthma very badly, and he, he couldn't cope with long, protracted periods in the front line. So uh, after his time on the Somme, he went to do some preaching to the troops in the base camps at the National Mission. And um, in June 1917, he went back to the front line at Messine um, and then he won a military cross for bringing in the wounded under fire. Uh, in his book, um, The Hardest Part, which he wrote in the war, um, he, he says quite a lot about his experiences at Messines uh, and the effect that they had on him. He then was back from the front line again. He went to be a speaker at several infantry schools. And interestingly, this is the part of his wartime career that's sort of been criticised because people have said that he was too much involved in building up the morale of um, morale of the troops in a military manner. Um, and actually, in the book, I try and refute this uh, a little bit and put it in a more balanced, uh, more balanced aspect. Um, by August 1918, he was back in the front line with the 42nd Division and took part uh, in 100 days. And then he was eventually demobilised in March 1919. Obviously, it's a lot more, just a bit of a summary of his career, but that's basically what he did. Now, he became probably one of the most popular um, padres or vicars of the war, along with Toby Clayton. What made him so famous? All right, well, it's, it's a very good question. I've often thought that why... Well, it's one of the reasons why I wanted to write his biography, because I think, you know, why would he do that other chaplains didn't do? They all did a, a, really, a really good job, or most of them anyway. But he did have this, um, this reputation. He started off with a nickname with Bang Willie. He got on very well with the troops. Um, he was always there in the front line. He had a reputation as quite an inspiring preacher. 
uh, which started at Rouen. Um, at Rouen, he did a series of Lenten talks in the Hotel de Ville um, for six weeks. And that started him off as a, a, a preacher who could engage with the men he was speaking to, who had a very popular, sometimes sort of racy kind uh, of preaching. Um, his talks and sermons to the men throughout the war were in a language they could understand. And sometimes he actually got into trouble on a few occasions with some bad language and a sort of um, racy style. He was there, like many other chaplains, in the front line, um, talking to men, being with them. He got the respect of the men by his words and actions. I think one of the reasons why he became perhaps so famous is um, also is the poetry that he wrote during the war. Um, and this got published during the war and became very, very popular. It's a sort of colloquial, sort of Rudyard Kipling sort of ballad style, uh, which spoke directly to the men and uh, in sort of dialect. And he became immensely popular. For example, um, he had a, a some poem called A Sermon in a Billet, a few different poems called A Sermon in a Billet. Uh, sorry, A Sermon in a Billet. He had a very clear idea, as I think, of what the job of an army chaplain was about. There's a famous quote from him, which sort of sums up his work as an army chaplain. He says, um, take, a bo- take a box of fags in your haversack and a great deal of love in your heart. Go up with them, joke with them, and I think this really sums it up. He said, you can pray with them sometimes, but pray for them always. So he became, uh, because he was in different parts of the line and also back to base camps, he got around a lot. A lot of people got to know him. And I think that's probably the basis of, of why he became so, so famous and so popular. So what impact did the experience of war have on his Christian faith? Well, like many chaplains and indeed many people who went off to war with a Christian faith, his faith was challenged and perhaps redefined by the war. Many of his preconceptions disappeared, uh, things changed. He admitted in 1917, said, you know this business has left me less cocksure on two points I am certain, Christ and his sacraments. So he maintained the basis of his faith, but he obviously had many questions. One of the things that he said often was that the, the, the soldier had asked him, what is Christ like? And he dwelt on this in his poems. He dwelt on this in his book, The Part, and his book, um, Rough Rhymes of a Power... Sorry, Rough Talk. Let's say that again. Rough Talks of a Power Drift. And talked a lot about his changing great ideas um, of God. He also wrote about... Uh, the wrongs of British society and the church and how they must be put right. But I think the main effect on his faith um, was this development of the idea of a, a suffering God. This is a God who shares our pain with us. He's not some omnipotent, omnipresent, or powerful God up in heaven somewhere who doesn't care about us. He's someone who's there in the trenches with the men sharing their pain. And this is, uh, this is quite a, a revolutionary, sort of controversial bit of theology there, but actually after the, the Second World War and the um, revelations of concentration camps and Auschwitz and other theologians took this up and it became sort of um sort of become a bit of a mainstream part of theology. But he was one of one of the people who started this idea of a suffering God and that came to him definitely in the trenches. So he comes back from France. So what does he do for the rest of his life? Uh, well, in some ways, this is the most interesting part for, for me uh, as his biographer. Um, he became so popular when he came back as a preacher um, that he was asked all over the country to preach here, to do a remembrance service there. And he found himself just travelling around the country, not doing much of his job as a parish priest in Worcester. So he thought this couldn't go on, so he accepted a job with something called the Industrial Christian Fellowship, which is an organisation which mediated 
uh, between the industry bosses and the workers, but from a Christian point of view. I think their slogan was Christ the Lord of all life, which gives you an idea of where they're, where they're coming from. He toured the country talking on behalf of the Industrial Christian Fellowship. Um, he took length courses, preaching at services and remembrance. He said some quite controversial things um, about pacifism and the, the role of remembrance. And he carried on, he then went on also to write some more books. He got quite a few books. There was one called Lies, which was about pacifism. There's one called Democracy in the Dog Collar, which was about industrial relations. He wrote about creeds, Lord Prayer. And towards the end of his life, he came up with some very interesting ideas on, on divorce and remarriage and contraception, which were quite ahead of their time. He also carried on writing volumes of very popular poetry. So he kept himself very busy. And uh, as you know, as I said, he suffered very asthma. He was often ill, but he just kept on going. Um, he's very eccentric and absent-minded. He had to have somebody to tell him what train he was going on, where he had to get off. He kept on forgetting things. He rolled up once at a meeting without his false teeth and had to go back for them. So as he got older, he got more of a reputation as being eccentric, but also got more famous for his teaching and teaching. And then after attack on flu in March 1929, his asthma caught up with him. And he had flu and heart failure, and he died um, very prematurely. And who knows what he might have done if he hadn't died so prematurely. And finally, Linda, where can people get your book from? Um, well, um, if they go to the Hellion and Co website, it can be purchased there. Uh, also on Amazon. Um, I'm working on putting it in various uh, outlets at the moment. But I have got a, a website which will sort of update on people where it can be uh, purchased from Linda Parker underscore underscore dot co dot uk. Linda, thank you very much for your time. Thank you for having me. You have been listening to the mentioned in dispatches podcast from the Western Front Association with me, Tom Thorpe. Thank you for all my guests for appearing on this edition. The theme music for this podcast was George Butterworth's The Banks of Green Willow. It was performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales, conducted by Chris Rusman and produced by Biz Records. This recording is part of a collection of orchestral works by Butterworth, performed by the BBC National Orchestra of Wales and supported by the Western Front Association. This is available from all good record stores under the record code BIS2195. Until next time.